This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too. So they're ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2. Huddersfield. Oi. Thank you. Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the frame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Stephen Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Over the last few weeks, the Nagel has landed. Town have made two signings, but fan pressure on Darren Moore keeps cranking up as Town have failed to win in their last four games. Joining me, Matt Shaw, today on the podcast is the silk to my feathers. It's Ian Kilroy. How are we doing, Killer? I'm all right. I'm looking forward to these next few games coming up. Um, some more happy, happy times, I'm sure, are on the way after some wonderful football this last week. Uh, yes, and speaking of wonderful, uh, this podcast, as always, is sponsored by Magic Rock Brewing. Use our code of AHTTC10 for 10% off all of your online orders at www.magicrockbrewing.com and also head down there on match day and you may see a big galoot like Brady Frost hanging around there and a couple of the other chaps. Okay, Killer, uh, quiz question for you. Name me another club that would sign a first-team striker for the first time in years, uh, make a big deal out of it, and then he gets injured in his first week's training session and, and miss a really key relegation game. Um, it just feels like we're cursed, doesn't it, in, in terms of strikers this season. Boyan uh, Radulovic uh, signed on the dotted line, played against Man City, looked okay in, in the little cameo, didn't he? He looked quite promising. And then his first week training gets injured and uh, he's out of what is quite a key game against Plymouth. And it's just, 
it leaves you, I'm sure, I'm, I mean, Darren Moore's got no hair at the minute, but I think everyone else is tearing theirs out, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah, I've, I'm not going to have much left, I don't think, by the time February comes around, Matt. It's, I think when, when, when you have a good season, good things tend to happen, don't they? Like there's fewer injuries and stuff. And then when you have a bad season, everything just turns against you and goes wrong at the worst possible time. It's, I thought he was quite nice. I thought he was quite a, a decent little player. In, um, well, I won't say a little, he's a tall guy, but against Man City, he looked okay, didn't he, in the second half? But then he's not played properly, I don't think. I think the finish season finishes, what, at the, at the end of December, beginning of December. So he's had a few weeks October, off where he was. October. Is it, and is then he's played European, yeah, and then he's played European games, hasn't he, in uh, December. Um, so he's played... Well, we're told all the time, aren't we? We're told all the time as fans that it takes quite a while to get a player ready to play, even if like they've, mm. they're already fit and, and they're ready. They've got to learn the new system. Not only has he got to learn our system, which I'm not entirely sure what it is just yet, not the new system we're going for, but... He's got to get up to up to match fitness. And the Finnish league, with all due respect, isn't the championship. The championship is known as being one of the toughest in the professional game. And we expect him to come in and start because we have so few other options. And the, the the training itself just seems to be too much for him. But, but by the sound of it, Darren Moore spoke after the game, didn't he? It was just a knock. He's not expected to be out for a long time. But like you said, Matt, to go into a big game, one of the big four games that we've got, obviously that one's gone now, the Plymouth game, but we've got uh, Blackburn, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, QPR. Is that, is, is that the run we're at? we have? Yeah, Blackburn, um, QPR, Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. That's the one. It's really, it is crucial to our season and because the fixtures after that are much more difficult. So to lose your new number nine, your statement number nine, your, your Kevin Nagel's main signing, or I'm guessing it, what he expected to be the main signing of this January transfer window, for him to be gone before his first league game is about as Huddersfield Town as you can get, or especially as, as Huddersfield Town as you can get for this season so far. And last season as well. Um the deadline to recall Jordan Rhodes has passed as well. Um, so Jordan Rhodes will be staying at Blackpool till the end of the season. And, and for me, it always made sense to recall Jordan Rhodes. We've, you know, we've gone into this Plymouth game without a single striker in the 20 man squad. Again, it's just, it's painful. Uh, it was possible to recall Rhodes and then send him back to Blackpool at the end of the month. And I always thought that was the smart move, you know, uh, bring him back, even if it's just for a couple of games and then uh, roll him back out again to Blackpool. Once you've, once you've hit your, or once you've signed the targets that you've you've got, and um, I was a little bit not surprised. I wasn't really surprised. No one's going to sit here and pretend that Jordan Rhodes is the answer to all of our problems. You know, we, we we've seen we saw Jordan over the last 12, 18 months, but he is on fire at the minute at Blackpool. Um, hasn't scored in his last four, but he, you know he, he's got fifteen goals this season, and uh, I just thought it made perfect sense just to bring it back. And I, I get it; it takes two to tango, doesn't it? Jordan's got to want to come back as well. He's probably enjoying himself at Blackpool, playing week in, week out. But with the current situation, it just felt like the best course of action was just to, you know, what bring you back, and then once we've got everyone settled in, you can go back to Blackpool and uh, and finish the season. But it's just just the way that the way it's going, isn't it, Killer? It's uh, it, for me. It seemed the the sensible thing to do, but it's just uh, it's just not happened, unfortunately. There's two aspects to it, though, though, isn't there? You can look at it from Jordan's perspective, and I don't think he was treated necessarily the best by the club over the last couple of years. Opportunities I thought he kind of deserved when it came to minutes on the field, he didn't really get. He got a little bit more under Warnock, but then over the summer, it seems to the plan seemed to have changed for the club. Um, he's gone to Blackpool. He's, I think he's in a. Have we got an option on him for for next season, or is he is he out of contract this? No, summer? I think he's out of contract in the summer. Yeah, I think that's. So it. he's playing for a new deal. Um, he doesn't look like he's going to retire anytime soon with the amount of goals he's bagging. So he's he's kind of earning himself a new contract. And 
he's looked really good for Blackpool. If you look at the amount of minutes he's played, he's played most most ninety minutes, and and you can look at the Blackpool forums. I've been reading up a little bit, knowing that we could have recalled him just to see how he's going because there's different ways to score goals in there. You can you can you can uh, like inflate your figures by penalties and, and kind of set pieces and stuff like that. But Rhodes sounds like he's back to back to his best. And if you're watching his highlights, he's snap shooting and he, he looks like the Rhodes we had in the championship. And okay, uh, many, 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 many moons ago. But of course, he, we're not, he's not at that level anymore. He's, he is older. But he's definitely fitter than he's been with us for the last couple of years because he's been given more time. And now I was uh, having a bit of an argument about this online with somebody the, the other day. But if you look at John Rhodes' minutes per goal, even over the last four or five seasons, He'd have averaged 15, 16 goals a season if he'd been given the, the appropriate game time. And I understand you have to earn that and, and there's reasons why he didn't. But he's, he can always score goals. We knew we were thin when it came to strikers for the month of January, like you said, Matt. And I didn't understand that we could have done that, that we could have recalled him and, and then sent him back out to, to Blackpool on loan. I understood we had a short time. I think it depends how many could... loans Blackpool have had. I think it right. might count as another loan again for Blackpool, but it's it's doable. It is doable. Well, I think that's I think that'd have been a genius option because we were always going to be one injury away from having no strikers. And that's exactly where we found ourselves on Saturday against Plymouth. And it seems it's easy to sit here now and say, oh look, we definitely yeah. should have done it because we ended up with no strikers. It's a bit remiss to, to not mention that, but, but for me, then Radulovic's got... not going to be hundred percent, is he? So it, it, again, no, it, it still makes, makes sense. And Kyle Hudlin's got an injury. Kean Harrett's injured. Kieran Phillips is injured. So every striker we've got is, is injured. Um, I mean, Saab has done okay up front. He's not a striker. I still, I'll still sit here and, and argue that he's not a natural striker with, with anyone. Um, He's a good player. I like Sauber Thomas a lot, but for me, you take away a lot of the effectiveness of what Sauber Thomas does by putting him through the middle. Um, he, he was great against um, Middlesbrough and Blackburn. Don't get me wrong. He was he was really good, wasn't he? But he, again, against Leicester and uh, Man City and again against Plymouth, you could just kind of see that he's just not quite fully suited to that role. He's, he's much more suited to coming in from the outside. And, and Karoma, I, I like as a player. I've always liked Josh Karoma as a player. I know he, he has... Uh, dips doesn't he he's up and down a lot um, still got the conch here by the way it's still, it's still here on my desk it's still, still the Karoma conch it almost became the headly horn when we thought we were losing Josh Karoma but we still got it and he, he did score which was great you know he's a really nice finish and we'll come to that shortly but with the options we've got I think Karoma's probably the better isn't it of, of him and Sauber Thomas and you just there's there's a way that you can try and get them to service each other and I don't I just don't think that quite quite happening but let's move on to the onto the game we, we'll draw a line under Jordan Rhodes uh, I don't think anyone would sit here and say that Jordan Rhodes is the answer to all of our prayers but for me he was a better option to have up front than Sauber Thomas or Josh Karoma um, maybe with one of them is fine um, I th- it's just Josh Karoma and Sauber Thomas are more outside of the box kind of players uh, and when you're playing two up front you need one who at least likes to be in the penalty box and uh, we don't really have have that at the minute but we, we can draw a line under that now because we know that Jordan's not coming back and we can wish him all the best for Blackpool so we don't need to talk about that in the podcast again for anyone who gets irritated by the Jordan Rhodes talk and I'm sure some people do but let's let's move on to the game um, for me I, I said to a couple of friends beforehand I felt the worst possible result was a draw Um I thought this was a must, not not a must win, but this was a, a game where I thought we really needed to win because it did two things. It, it would have 
propelled us up. Uh, you know, three points obviously would have helped propel us up, but it would have also dragged Plymouth back in at a time when Plymouth are really struggling. They've just lost uh, two midfielders, lost Finnazaz, who's a really good midfielder who's gone to Middlesbrough. I think Aston Villa have recalled him and Middlesbrough bought him. Luke Kundal uh, has been recalled by, I think it's Wolves. And then he's gone back out to Stoke. They've lost the manager in Schumacher. There's rumours that Brentford are looking at Morgan Whitaker and a couple of other things. I just felt like Plymouth were uh, in a spot that, you know, it's the manager's first game as well. Foster, the, the manager's come in. It's his very first game. I just felt Plymouth were in a, a spot where they were ready to be taken, if I'm honest. Uh, I felt they were a little bit fragile. Um, and the start of the game, I thought we it, it was dull, but I, th- I felt that we got on top and then we we made a bit of a mistake, didn't we? I mean, we'll talk about Brody Spencer as well first because Brody Spencer stepped in at, at left centre-back, um, replacing the the role which has been vacated by Yutanaki Yama, who'll be missing for, I think, another four weeks now because he's gone to the Asian Games with Japan. Um, and I get why they've put Brody Spencer at left centre-back. Um, they've not really wanted to upset two positions, have they, by moving Tom Lees across. Uh, Ramadi Edmonds-Green could have played, I guess. Um, didn't. Hasn't really excelled, shall we say. Um, but I understand why they wanted to play Spencer because Kasumu's fit so they can bring Kasumu back into the right wing-back role where he's done pretty well. And I think that it's a straight shootout then between the guy they've brought back from Motherwell in Spencer and Roman Edmonds-Green. And I get why they've done it. They've not wanted to move Lees because you know it upsets two positions. But I felt it was a big task to mark Morgan Whitaker as well um, to play in a, a position which is slightly unfamiliar for him and... I think Brody does kind of lose him a little bit for the first goal, doesn't he? But it's not really all on Brody Spencer that the ball's on the right-hand side and I feel the midfield gets drawn across too much. Uh, Hoggy and Matos get drawn across and it leaves the space out wide and then Kasumu doesn't really go with Bali Mumber either. And he puts the ball across and Whitaker just peels off. Uh, and he's a very smart player. He's a very good player, is Morgan Whitaker, And he, he scores quite an easy goal really for Plymouth. And it was just a really disappointing start to the game after Plymouth had really offered very little up until that, that sort of point. And it was the first attack that they really had. And and to be honest with you, they didn't really offer a massive amount after that. Um, but I've got to say Brody Spencer, I, th- I felt that he um, handled himself very, very well after, after that. There's a couple of occasions where I think he lost Whitaker once or twice, but the pass wasn't quite uh, good enough to find Whitaker. But I felt, I felt, the sort of last 60 minutes of the game, he coped really, really well with him. And I, I felt that it was a really mature performance from a 19-year-old playing in a position which isn't overly familiar. I know he's played left wing back, left back, and right wing back, right back. And he's, he has played uh, right centre back for the uh, academy as well. But for the first team, it's a, it's a completely different kettle of fish. And I thought he really equipped himself really well, killer. And, and that second half in particular, I thought he did great. And, you know, he read situations really well. He's got pace, which allowed him to uh, intercept a couple of things. Now I felt he was he was um, quite deserving of the man of the match award. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I agree. I agree entirely. Um, to say he doesn't look like he plays like a nineteen-year-old, does he? He looks like he's much more oh. mature than that. But that said, it, it was perfect for me for 80, 89 minutes. But as you just went through there, Matt, you've got Kasumu playing as, as a right wing back and you've got Spencer playing as a left centre back. Both are kind of out of position a little bit. And in championship level football, when when you when you are at the bottom of the division like we are, you have to be perfect for Morris the entire game because if you do have any issues, other teams can can manipulate it and score. 
Morgan Whitaker's, Whitaker's playing in not a great Plymouth team, yet he still managed to score 15 goals this season. He's coming to this game, I think, he's got four in four or five in five before it. And he's, he's, I think the information's uh, confused, I think a cup game's included. But regardless, he's got six goals in these last six games, and one of them may have been a cup game. And that moment, um, you could see the, the problem you have when you when you have such a thin squad and you have to play players out of position because... For the goal, Spencer's, Spencer's involved at the beginning. Like I say, Matos and Hogg get dragged out to the right-hand side and Kasumo there, he's got to make a decision on... And is it is it ben, 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 what was it? What's the... Bali Mumba, isn't it? The, Bali yeah. Mumba. He's, Kasumo, because he used to play as a central midfielder, he's, he's kind of defending the middle of the goal and gives him extra space out wide because as a central midfielder, that's what you do. You stop the block. You, you have got to block the shots. You, you've got to stop those passes to the inside. So what he doesn't do is he's closing down quick enough as a wide man and as he crosses it in, Spencer Brody's ball watching. He's been ball watching um, Kasumu's marking of uh, of trying to stop the, the cross coming in. And, and unfortunately, Whitaker he, he does what he does best and he's clinical and puts it away for quite a straightforward goal. It came from a direct mistake for me from both Spencer and um, Kasumu. But again, you can, you've got to expect that when you're playing players out of position. Now, I thought Brody Spencer was fantastic for the rest of the game. I think he's being. I thought he was good against Man City. I thought he had a very tough yeah, job against uh, Jack Grealish and, and he looked handy. But again, with with young players you're going to have those lapses of, of concentration and more so when you're playing out of position. But then when for the rest of the game, you get back at it, he was very aware that he made that mistake. Ben Jackson told him pretty pretty vociferously to his face straight after it had gone in. They was fuming that he, he, he ball-watched and, and, and let him in. Um, but he, he got back on his horse and he, he carried on and it was a better... Like I said, I, I agree. I thought he was definitely man of the match for me at the weekend. But it was just playing the, both town, both teams to say we're at the bottom of the division. Really started playing kamikaze football from the off. Neither team are good ball playing teams, possession based teams. And from from the start, they're trying to. With both teams are trying to roll it out and play it around the back, and both teams were just getting into trouble doing it. And it it was a very very strange first 20, 25 minutes for me. I get it with Plymouth because they've got a new coach. He's not exactly sure what he's what he's, he's dealing with, and he's trying to find out. But we've got Darren Moore who's been here for quite a while now and he should know better than that. And once we changed and, and, and stepped up a little bit and tried to play the ball further up the field, yeah, it might have been sideways and backwards, it, it, we just looked a little bit more solid. We didn't look like we were playing into trouble like we did in that first, first 25, 30 minutes. But it was it's one of those goals you concede because you've got players out of position. And that's a problem we're going to have when you've got a squad as thin as we do. I think another way to look at that is you, you go back to the very first game of the season as well and Bali Mumba played on the uh, left-hand side and he came in, didn't he, and scored that goal where Roman Edmonds-Green was was stood in the back of the stand, wasn't he? <laughs> the fact that, uh, and I suppose they might have been aware of that as well, him coming in onto his right-hand side, but I think maybe that might have affected the decision to kind of stay uh, tucked in a little bit um, because Bali Mumba's a, a very good player. Uh, very good footballer who can hurt you from those angles if he does come inside. And I think that might have played on his mind a little bit. But once he then goes wide, you've got to really snap in and get to him quick, haven't you? But, you know, it's it's not really a massive error from Kasumi. It's just one of those things, isn't it, where, you know, like you say, a player out of position and maybe with a bit more experience, he would be, you know, quicker into it. But, you know, he's... Uh, no, no, no complaints whatsoever. About no, the cross and the cross is fantastic. It splits both Helican. Like the the cross is good. So mm. Whitaker doesn't have to do much to put that away. He, he had a lot to do and he still did it. But you're right. It was just a bit narrow. But like you say, uh, the goal that he scored against us in the first game of the season is probably something they picked up on the scouting tapes and decided to show him out wide instead of letting him cut in. And uh, it just didn't work out that time. And then Town scored back. Um, Thirty eight minutes. Uh, Josh Karoma. Um, 
we'd say possible foul by Matos in the in the build up. Um, uh, although I think the Plymouth uh, the referee was really strange. Actually, I, th- I felt like he gave Plymouth pretty much everything up until this point, and then after this point, he gave everything to us. He was he was a really bizarre refereeing performance. Um, I think the play, the Plymouth player sort of slightly over stretches trying to um, shield the ball, and Matos comes flying in, and. From the sort of angle behind, I'm not sure if there's any contact made, but if there is or there isn't, when someone flies in like that 99 times out of 100, it's usually given as a free kick, isn't it? Um, and then it falls for Sauber Thomas, who tees up Josh Karoma, who, who scores with a, a very nice finish. It's a it's a good finish by Karoma with his left foot. Um, I mean, I think we we spoke about this off record, didn't we, before? And I think... I think you hit the nail on the head really when you said if if that's against us, we're going mental out, we're saying it's a foul. And I think it, it probably is a foul out, isn't it? If you if you take your blue and white tinted glasses off, I think. I can't believe it stood, to be honest. I thought it was about a stonewall of free kick as you can possibly get. But then, yeah, if you slow it down, maybe he didn't make as much contact. But Plymouth, the Plymouth guy's in control of the ball. He's kind of just moved his body to get in the way of Matos, who's who's flying in. And just it's just a standard free kick, I thought. Karoma had a lot to do with the finish. I thought he, he, it's a standard Karoma finish, though, and he loves a little pull back and then cross back across the face. It was, it was, it was a good finish, and it was just nice to see Town just for those moments. Again, Plymouth tried to play out a little bit at the back, and we we were we pushed higher, and now we didn't really press too much apart from Matos. You can tell our, 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 our the, the game plan there in that end of the first half was just have enough men further forward to make it hard for them to pass out. But against Sunderland away was the best um, I've seen our midfield actually press. It was unbelievable the way we stopped the passing lanes. And now we weren't quite at that level against Plymouth, but when you've got Matos and he's going in so fast all the time, which will no doubt get him into a lot of trouble during the rest of this season. Because he, th- I, I can't, can you remember anybody throwing himself in like that, Matt, for, for us? He's chaotic, isn't he? Um to say the least, is Matos. Um, can I remember anyone throwing? I don't know. I know it's only been two games. I know it's early, but I'd he, like to say I'd like to say Damien Johnson, but he, I don't think he ever threw himself in quite as manically as that, did he? he? Was a bit more calculated. Was Damien Johnson back in the back in the Lee Clark days, wasn't he? But um, no, he's he's. There's a lot of action there. And I love the tackle against Man City. I couldn't believe he got booked. I, to be fair, I'm right up at the back of the stand and I think someone said he might have got booked for an elbow just before it, but the tackle that he put on against her, uh, was it a kanji um, where he absolutely flew in? I thought that was a great Yeah, he could have been sent off for that alone, Matt. He did elbow somebody straight in the face and then went in and cleaned out a jacket. <laughs> it just, it was, but, but that's, the thing is, you love when you are though, a team, you? You're love that. Yeah, but not that, I actually love the signing of Matos. If we've brought him in to do that, Fantastic, because when you are at the bottom of the division and when you can't dictate football by playing football, you have to find other ways to do it. And and Matos, is, is a, is, he's definitely going to have an effect, isn't he? Because the way he throws himself in, nobody wants to play against that in midfield. Honestly, if, you, if, you're, if you're lining up on a Saturday and you can see him and you know every time you get the ball, he's going to come through the back here. You just know he's going to be there. You'll hear it. You'll feel it. You'll, you'll just do something you shouldn't and then just get rid of it or you're going to get tackled. And you can see that that's what happened. That that is exactly how, what happened at the weekend. He just how did you think he did then? How how did you? I, I found him quite difficult to judge because there was five fouls in the game, and there probably should have been more <laughs> if we're truthful. Um, but his passing accuracy was good. It was like just under ninety two percent, which I didn't really realize watching watching live. Um, so his passing accuracy was really good. I, I found him kind of difficult to quantify because it, it was very chaotic, wasn't he? Sort of running around, charging like a bull in a china shop, wasn't he? Um, just crashing around the place. And 
at points I thought he was brilliant and then at other points I thought he was a a nightmare <laughs> waiting to happen but not in, not in a bad way but um He's playing like a guy on his debut, though, Matt. You can when yeah. we used to have all the academy strikers come through, like Daniel Broadbent, and we had like Jimmy Spencer. You know, all these guys that came on, you just on the first few games, they go at it, hell for leather. Of course, they do. They're trying to create an impact, create a moment where they can be memorable and push themselves within that to be on the bench every week, right? And Matos, obviously, he's just come from Chelsea. He's he's never played first team football more, well, ever. He's played a couple of games for the uh, in the in the EFL Trophy and whatnot. But you can just see he's really trying to impress because there's no way you can keep that tempo up for 90 minutes for a 46 game season. He's unbelievable, but yeah, it's, he's got to he's got to calm it down because he'll get a reputation. You'll get a reputation, and and then referees will pick up on it very early. First tackle will be fine. Second tackle will be booked, and you'll be 10 minutes into a game, and then it changes the entire outcome for him and how he has to play the rest of the uh, the game for town. Yeah, I thought, to be honest, when we played Man City um, last week, I thought he was the only player able to pay, play at their pace, uh, at Man City's pace, which I thought was was a really good sign. But yeah, very interesting debut, um, home debut for Matos. And I think it's important to bear in mind as well, he's, he's not match fit either because he's had to come off at 60 minutes, you know, around, around the hour mark, hasn't he, in both games. So when he, gets fit, when he actually gets physically match fit, he's going to be a really interesting character, isn't he? Um, is, is Alex Matos. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more from him. And I've, I've I've just got a little feeling that there might be a big game from him next week against Blackburn. I've just got that little little feeling. Um, I mean, the rest of the game, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I just didn't enjoy the game at all. I, I just found the the entire game to be dull, um, every literally almost every minute. Um, Town had 62% possession, which... I don't think I even need to fact check this. I'm pretty sure it's going to be the highest that we've had in any game this season. I don't even need to look at it, do I? Um, but we, it just felt we did very little with it. It was quite ponderous at times. Uh, midfield was static, uh, which made me wonder really if we should have maybe made a, a change in midfield. And and that was my sort of main issue with the second half was we just kind of kept at it in the same shape um, with the same sort of, personnel and I thought maybe we should have taken hockey off uh, at one point I didn't think really it was a game which which was for him uh, I felt that we needed perhaps to get Ben Wiles on and maybe push Ben Wiles further forward uh, just change that dynamic or maybe switch the system maybe to a four uh, and have you know either Karoma or Sorba coming from out wide or something slightly different because it wasn't really working with them both through the middle but there was just nothing really from from us, was there? And it just sort of petered out into into nothingness. And I think there was a shot from Ben Jackson in the second half, which was relatively easily dealt with. Um, but it just it just from seventy minutes or so, you just knew that we weren't going to win the game, uh, or the game was pretty much done as a result, wasn't it? With twenty minutes left, and it was a little bit frustrating watching that. I guess just no urgency, which I found surprising, Matt. Like Plymouth are above us. For them, a point's much better than it is for us because we're chasing them down, right? We're at home. On paper, like we spoke, you spoke about earlier, I don't think we could have had an easier game on paper. They've come in, they've not won away from home, they've lost half the team, they've lost the manager. It's We've got a new, our owners here and he's giving the fans a big lift and you're thinking we're going to put a bit of a performance here. And looking at the game, it just looked like we didn't want to lose. It were a bit like, oh, we can't lose this game. We just, we just can't lose it. And... Uh, but it looks like Darren Moore's gone out and again this is me speculating but it looks like he's, the, the kind of team talks we had before the game's a bit like 
right, let's just keep the ball. Let's keep the possession. We need to play on the ball a little bit, which is fine, but it's very one-dimensional. It's not really creating any attack in play. It's just we need to control the ball better. And like you say, what, what kind of proves that is that Hogg wasn't needed in that second half. They didn't really threaten us too much but instead of taking that little bit of a gamble to chase the three points and I'm a massive Ben Wiles fan I, I, I don't understand the the dislike he kind of gets from everybody he does a lot of work off the ball because Hog Hog's slowing down as he gets older Ben Wiles does an awful lot of it um, and I think he drives us forward pretty good, pretty well like if he gets the ball in midfield he takes 10-15 yards just goes if it's there and available to him and when you're trying to unlock a team that aren't necessarily opening up too much against you because they're happy for a point away from home they're the kind of players you need. And I thought that was quite a straightforward sub to go with at the weekend, but he didn't fancy it. He went with Epender instead. Um, I just, I, I found it quite frustrating watching it, Matt. And, and that we've got, again, these four games where we need to get quite a lot of points out of them because the games coming afterwards are much more difficult. And unless we have an, a gluttony of players coming in between now and the end of January, really can change uh, the tempo and style of this team. We aren't going to change that much between now and the end of the season. What we are, what we're seeing now, is more or less what it's going to be. But urgency is something you can kind of push on the players. Just, just have a go. And like Kevin spoke about after the, the backwards and sideways passing, it it just turns the fans against you. And and we need everybody on the same kind of boat. But it didn't even felt felt like we had a go, did it? It just felt like we kind of we were happy to to take a point. And, and just not concede, really. And it's just a bit defeatist, especially when it's a game, like we said, on paper, where you're not going to get many better chances to get three points, but you're not going to get those chances if you don't have a go. And I think that's what really frustrated everybody at the weekend. Mm. I mean, like you said, there wasn't much urgency. The most urgency was coming from Tom Lees, who was like trying to overlap from sort of right centre-back. And there was nothing really coming from midfield. And that was the, the frustrating thing. And I know Hoggy's not, a player that's going to drive with the ball forward. He's not Lewis O'Brien. So that was, for me, that was when you, you make that change and it's no, it's no slight on him. It's just different, st- you know, as the same boxing styles make fights, don't they? And it's just, the st- you know, what we needed at that point was a little bit more forward momentum through, through the middle. And uh, we did see Tommy Pender and I was, I was quite happy to, to see him. I, I felt, I didn't think it was a bad sub to make at all. I, I thought it was a, a game to throw him on and he's, he's big, isn't he? He's quite, you know, he's quite a tall lad for 18, quite filled out. And I thought he did quite well, if I'm honest. Um, it, it didn't get phased. It was nice to see him. And, it, and you know, in praise of Darren Moyes, he's throwing him on in a key game and not not worried about it. And I, uh, there's a couple of times where we, I, th- I felt he was let down, wasn't he? You pender with a couple of passes which were behind him, which, you know, he kind of slipped and fell, didn't he? Which made him look... Uh, which made him probably look worse than it. it wasn't his fault at all. You know what I mean? They were just poor passes to him. But I thought when he got the ball, he did quite well, used it well, and he wasn't afraid to to get to get stuck in as well. I thought it was a a promising a promising debut for someone who's eighteen. And you look on the pitch, and you've got Brady uh, Brady Brady Frost running on. You got you got Brody Spencer, haven't you? Centre back who's nineteen and doing well. You got Tommy Pender. Uh, 18, who's done quite well. Ben Jackson, I know he's a little bit older, left, you know, a sort of left wing back who's done done okay. And it's, it's good to see, it's it's great to see academy players coming through and we'll maybe talk about the academy changes in, in a little bit because of Kevin's interview. But um, I was I was pleased to see it, but I, I felt as well as Yependi could have put Wilds on as well and and, change, and really changed the dynamic in there. But it, it, it just wasn't, wasn't to be. Uh, and to be honest, it was a, a dull a dull game which petered out and 
straight away after the game um, before you could pick up your phone Kevin Nagel's uh, tweeting that it's not good enough in, in caps um, how did you find that because I I, I kind of walked away from uh, from the game I could feel my phone going mad in my pocket you know with people like messaging me and I was just like I can't be bothered the game was rubbish and I can't be bothered talking about it yet kind of thing and then I picked it up because my, my other half obsessed with home bargains so she's like I want to go around home bargains and look for something so so, so I had a look. I had a look. It's like forty-five messages on my phone. And I'm like, "What's going on here?" And and everyone's like, "Going on, oh, Darren Moore's in for it, you know, and stuff, and he's going to sack him, etc." And I think that kind of set the tweet, kind of set the expectation that that wasn't good enough, and he was going to sack Darren Moore. And and I, I just felt like the the tweet probably wasn't that greatly advised i mean he can tweet what he wants can't he it's his account you know he's he's passionate and i like him kevin nagel he can tweet what you know you don't need to listen to me he can tweet what he wants but um that might be a song that he tweets what he wants kevin nagel <laughs> but he's i just i just didn't think that maybe the context of that was probably quite helpful um i mean he could have put not that not the best result today um we need to do better or something like that and then that's different, isn't it? But when you put sort of like not good enough in caps, it, it kind of lets people's minds wander. I think that's where I'm going with that. And I think people kind of um, put, tried to put two and two together and thought Darren Moore wasn't leaving the building with a, with a job, didn't they? I think that might have been some wishful thinking from some people. But, I mean, he put that he put that uh, right, didn't he, later with his video diary with Dave Carmichael. And I'll be honest, I've really enjoyed those video diaries from, from Kevin and David Carmichael. I think it's quite refreshing. It's quite, quite nice to see it. Uh, they're both very likable guys, aren't they? When, when they're doing it, I like, um, uh, Dave, Dave's, Dave's a giant, isn't he? But he's, uh, you know, very like, you know, very likable. Um, and they the both are, um, sat there in the, in the hotel room, talk about what they've done. I, I quite enjoyed it. I found it really, really good, uh, really refreshing. And you don't get that. You won't get that with a lot of football clubs up and down the country. And I, I found that really sort of really nice. It's, uh, and he sort of rode back a little bit, didn't he? And sort of said afterwards, um, no, Darren Moore's staying, you know, there's, there's no change there. And, and so he, he corrected that quickly, which, which was, which was good. But um, how, how have you found, or how did you find the immediate aftermath of the, um, of social media, with uh, Nagel and uh, Dave Carmichael. Is it- Cosy, what what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium. You're right near the pitch. Great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. What's his actual proper name? David David something other, isn't it? It's not 
It's like a jolly boy's outing, isn't it? It's like when these two have come over from America and they're just seeing everything and seeing the yeah, sights. Smashing fish and chips. I love it. I love it. It feels real, doesn't it? And, and when they're speaking, they speak so well. And now they don't commit to very much when you actually break it down exactly what they've said. But I tell you what, I half lift the fans. And there is a bit of Dean Hoyleism in there where things were bad. Yeah. He'd come out and speak and it'd really lift everybody. And it does feel like that with Kevin Nagel. He's got that I, down to a T. Do you know what? I honestly felt the crowd was slightly bigger against Plymouth because of the Nagel effect. You know, like there was quite a, there was a school's promotion. Yeah, there's promotion a lot of people behind the, behind the um, FML. What was it? What was, was yeah, it I think there was a school's, a school's promotion or a, a, a local football team promotion, something like that. And I just felt the crowd was a little swollen. I, I, I felt like it had had a positive effect and I felt that there was a, a bigger crowd against Plymouth in terms of people in the ground than what there was uh, against Middlesbrough and Blackburn. But he speaks well and he, he he doesn't, he answers every question put to him and he never gets offended by the questions asked either. He's, he comes across really, really well and likeable. And I think that's very, very difficult, especially for an American coming into English football because generally most fans have an instant dislike to an outsider coming in, especially when they come in initially and call it Huddersfield and, and soccer and it's in between Leeds and somewhere else, relevant Manchester or whatever. Like, but again, with the way he speaks, he's so, so frank yet, yet, yet pleasant. I think you can't help but feel some sort of affinity to him. But when I first saw that tweet, man, I, I had to check the username first up because I thought Sandra had, were at it again where she changed changed her photo to, to Kevin's photo because I, I just thought, nah, there's no way he's done that because surely... Surely you've learned from what happened after the Warnock. Was it the Norwich game where I think um, Nagel, Nagel yeah, tweeted something Norwich, about yeah. it not being good enough and that led to, to Warnock saying at the end of a chicken press conference about transfers not being done and didn't understand exactly how many players in we could have got and that, um, was it Ruffles and some Ward signing new contracts yeah, have changed yeah, things. Yeah. And, and all these games started to be played on the back of a tweet, regardless of who was right and who was wrong. Irrelevant. There was, uh, there was a domino effect from a tweet or we, we kind of think that's what, partially played out a little bit so I just didn't expect it but being in the stadium is very different and Nagel's watched a lot of games from abroad and then you hear and you hear hearing audible boos for the last not not all 10 minutes of the, the last 10 minutes but you you can feel the frustration in the town stadium yeah with a with a like you say um Patrick and, and Chicken have spoke about this I think on the podcast last week in in regards to they get a bit they get frustrated when town fans have that groan when the ball goes backwards or sideways because to dictate games you have to control possession and sometimes you have to do it I do agree with that but then I also agree that on the weekend we did it far too much and it was pointless passing it was never going to get anywhere and I think when the when the crowd's groaning like that and you're in the stadium it changes how you feel about it and now obviously I was away from here for a long long time and you kind of forget about it and then you get back in and you hear that town fan groan and it's hard to ignore and I think mm. the moment they kind of probably led maybe to to how he, he felt and how he portrayed his opinions on his tweet straight after because like you said later on when he's in his um, Netflix style live documentary <laughs> how do you feel about the game today which I do love as well Matt I think it's fantastic and it only again it engages fans more and more and more and buys him favour and more on more trust from us he kind of backtracked a little bit I thought I thought he reeled himself back in to explain maybe not backtracked but he explained himself with more detail which made it more yeah. palatable for, for both Darren Moore and, and us as fans. Because unfortunately for Darren Moore, I think he had to speak about Nagel's tweet before Nagel had done his video diary in his Leeds hotel yeah, room. So fair play to Darren Moore, because that was a very dodgy little a precipice to have to skirt around. But 
One thing I will say, if, if you're listening to the way Kevin Nagel speaks now compared to how he spoke just a few months ago about um, Darren Moore, because back then it was Darren Moore is the man. He's the man. He's our guy. We're going to help him build. Now it's a bit more he's the right guy for now or right now I'm not going to do it. And that's a distinct and purposeful change of tone for me. And I might be off the mark here. I don't know what you think about it, but I definitely feel like we're referring to things as right now. I'm not saying he's, he's going, he's going to be gone in the next few weeks. I'm not saying that, but it just feels like Nagel's learning about how we town fans kind of work and how much we scrutinize every single thing you say. So he's got to be a bit more careful. You can't say, never say never kind of things coming into it here um, because I've seen a, a, change in, a change in language on that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean... The, we'll go to the Radio Leeds interview and the Radio Leeds interview that he did was great again with Oggy I thought Oggy was good as well Oggy asked uh, good questions uh, I mean he pushed the Dar- I thought he was going to sack Darren Moore himself at one point Oggy was he was really pushing that forward wasn't he um, and uh, I thought it was a good interview uh, and they they did push that like I said Oggy pushed the Darren Moore thing quite a lot because there's a lot of pushback from supporters at the minute who are not enjoying themselves. They're not enjoying the the football. They're not enjoying the results. They're not enjoying uh, the lack of connection uh, that you get with Darren Moore because he's very evasive in his uh, press conferences. And I've said this before, he's not here to entertain people in press conferences. He's here to win football matches, but unfortunately he's not winning football matches either. Um, So, you know, he's got three wins in 20 games, which is actually a worse record than Mark Fotheringham. Uh, this time last year, uh, Matt Fotheringham's got three more points in his first 20 games than Darren Moore. And I mean, Matt Fotheringham was a, a lot more embarrassing, wasn't he, in some of the ways he, he handled himself. Um, but Darren Moore always handles himself with a lot of dignity, doesn't he? Like, um, it, you know, in terms of the Kevin Nagel response as well. And I don't think there's any doubt that Darren Moore's a, a, a good bloke. He's just not an entertaining bloke for, for people. And I understand people's frustration with him because they don't feel that, uh, they don't feel the connection with him and they don't feel like we're in good hands with him because they don't feel, they just don't feel it. You know what I mean? And they don't see it on the pitch as well. So there's a lot of pushback coming against Darren Moore and, and Kevin Nagel's response was very bullish, wasn't it? It was very much a case of, no, he's not going anywhere. Let's, let's, let's put this to bed now. Darren Moore's not going anywhere. He's not had the tools. He's had the injury list, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think he's right. He's, 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 he has had a really bad injury list. And um, you can argue if you want whose fault that is, whether that's Darren Moore's fault for coming in and uh, changing the uh, the levels of training. I, I don't know. You know, you can you can maybe make make that judgment if you want. It might be right, might be wrong. Um, and then uh, you've got the, the lack of, uh, you know, the lack of... Uh, Thing, like we've talked about the lack of strikers and I mean he's not I don't think he's had a game really this year as a way he could feel too genuine out and out strikers in his in his preferred system and he's, he's had no nobody to change anything from the bench we've, we've talked about you know week after week you know Darren Moore's substitutes or whatever we, well people have talked about it but we've kind of held off a bit because he's not really got anything to change anything with um, so it's not like he can bring on Jordan Rhodes and you can bring on Danny Ward or you can bring on a Sauber Thomas or something like that or Delana Bergsog to change again because he doesn't have that option. So there's a lot of truth in what he said, but there's a lot of frustration as well with with the way that things have panned out. And I don't think a lot of things, in-game tactics of things have kind of passed him by and 
it's a difficult situation, isn't it? Because on one hand, he's not had a fair crack of the whip, but he's almost on, on the other with supporters. He's almost past the point of no return as well, isn't he? Where people are, are that dead set against him. It's it's almost impossible to win them back and it, it creates just such a a nasty atmosphere. So he's, he's, he's in a position now whereby he's sort of said, Darren Moore's going nowhere, but we've talked about the importance of the next few games. I mean, if we go to Blackburn and lose and then don't beat QPR... You know, it's a situation whereby you've got Sheffield Wednesday at home coming up and we could potentially be in and around that bottom three. And there's a decision then that that would need to be made, isn't there? There's a more serious decision that would need to be made. And I I I was never one for Darren Moore's appointment. I always felt that it was he was the wrong man for the, for the job and I still feel that way, but I want him to succeed because I, I can't be bothered you know it'd be what six managers in 18 months or something stupid you can't keep going around that crazy merry-go-round can you and nobody serious is gonna is gonna take the job on when the squad's inadequate and you're sacking people for the inadequacies of the squad rather than the manager sometimes and and that's that's what it feels like uh, I mean, Neil Warnock did a great job, didn't he, at the end of last season? There's no doubt in that. And there there are people that could do better, but there are probably people that could do worse as well. And it, it's such a it, it's such a roll of the dice, isn't it? And and to be fair, he's, he's not. We're talking games here, aren't we? Board games, and he's not had the a full deck of cards to play with. And it, it's just it's one of those, isn't it? Where I'm kind of like, I, I I didn't think he was right for the job. I still don't. But he's not had a fair crack of it to sort of say that, yeah, he came in, he was given the tools to do the job and he didn't do it. Because that's not the case. He's come in and he's not had the tools to do the job and he's he's not done it. It's, it's sort of, not that he's set up to fail, but the circumstances have dictated that he's, he's failing at the job at the minute because of, you know, the, the injuries and we've got two new players in, one of them's playing, one of them's injured. And it's it's difficult to sort of sit here and say definitively, that the manager should stay, the manager should go because it, we we don't really know if he's any good yet because he's not had that that fair go, has he? No, I don't think he can do anything else with the team. We saw it as sitting here saying we need to we need to have more of the ball, we need to create more chances. But the soon as we open up, we concede. That's what's happened because again, my my genuine opinion of it, Matt, is that the squad is not good enough. And and I thought that from the start of this season, it was pretty open. Pozzer and I spoke about this quite a lot. In the, the squad going into the season was recklessly small for me, and mm. it didn't have this, this, the talent we had at the end of last season. It, maybe maybe not individual talent, but once you've got a bit of depth, it gives you options. It, it allows you to change things in games. It allows you to keep other teams on their toes in regards to they're not entirely sure what system you're going to play when you turn up. We're very predictable at the moment because we don't have any players we can really rotate around. We're very simplified when it comes to the way we can play football because of the players we have available to us. And that isn't Darren Moore's fault for me. It really isn't. And I don't think anyone could do a much better job than Darren Moore could when it comes to to playing. The problem I think town fans have with him again is, like you say, Matt, they're, they're not taking Tom Edwards off against Leeds earlier on when, when we were really suffering. Mm-hmm. The changes against Ipswich and... And then just little things like not waving after the game and stuff. These little tiny things that really upset fans when you're not winning games. And now I think he could have done better on that. Those kind of aspects and and maybe won fans over a little bit more that way. But that just doesn't seem to be him. And I don't think it's anything nasty or anything um, personal against town fans. It's just it's just the way he he coaches. But sometimes coaches don't fit fan bases. And 
if that's the case, you have to win games. And if you're not winning games or it's not exciting to watch, then these are the things that kind of get thrown around. But you're right, Matt, there's not really enough to judge him on because he's not really been given any sort of toolkit to build something. It's just kind of firefighting, isn't it? It's more, right, we just need to not lose this game. We just need to stay in contention. We need to just get to January. We're in January. And like you said, we've had more managers in 18 months and we've had strikers fit, I think. So you can't really blame Darren Moore for it when when he's got to... I think Ben Wiles on the bench this week. Is he the only first teamer really that would class as a bona fide first teamer on there? And it's the first one we've had for ages. I don't think we've really had much. Man, Evans Green, I guess, but but he he, he was a fringe player for it. He's always been kind of a fringe player, but because of the situation, he's been thrown in a little bit more and got more game time than maybe his form suggests. But that's what Darren Moore's having to deal with, and. We are still above the relegation zone. I look at that as some sort of success, regardless of the comparisons to Fotheringham's um, performance with Town last year. But like like likes to be mentioned before, Warnock's um, form at the beginning of the season wasn't great either. So it's hard to say he'd have done a much better job than what Darren Moore's done. Who knows? The only thing we do know yeah. is his squad at the moment's thin, and it has been thin since day one. And Darren Moore doesn't have much he can do with it to get a different kind of style and a different kind of result and, and performance that fans are going to like, really, in my opinion, anyway. No, I think I think one thing is we all, uh, on the podcast, think me, Poz, Cosy, we, we all predicted at the start of the season with Neil Warnock in charge that we'd only be around about this place anyway uh, come the end of the season. So I think that kind of indicates what, what we expected, really, with, with Neil Warnock in charge. I do think Neil Warnock would have done slightly better than what Darren Moore's done. Um, I think... For a start, I don't think he would have put Tom Edwards one on one against Somerville at Leeds. I think that was just that was just unbelievably bad tactical management. But uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of things. I think I think Neil Warnock just understood the squad more. I think Darren Moore's kind of thinking, right? I've got this system I want to play, and then players will have to fit into this system. Whereas Neil Warnock was more about um, he, he would manage the players he had a little bit better. That. Um, I mean, Danny Ward would have probably played more. I think if a, for Neil Warner could have been a, a bit more available, or if it had to be available. Um, but I mean, I, I just don't think we'd have been a million miles. Like Neil Warner mentioned, the play, he knew what he was doing, didn't he? When he, he shit house the next guy by saying this team should push on towards the playoffs. He knew what he was doing, didn't he? When he said that, when he left Neil Warner, it was brilliant no in chance. the moment. No one no bought chance. that. No, no fan no. surely bought. <laughs> no, he's, he, no, he, he proper set. Uh, I mean, no one really should have. Uh, we we did you know, in our preseason predictions that some people did suggest that Huddersfield would be pushing up towards the playoffs, and I just felt like with what we had, it was it was just never ever ever going to happen um, because players plateau, don't they? They can play really well and above themselves for a short period of times, but they will plateau in the end. Um, which leads us on to another point that uh, Kevin made on the um, Radio Leeds interview was that he expects another three players to come in uh, on top of what we've brought in so far. So we brought in Boyan, uh, brought in uh, Boyan Radul. I can't even say his name anymore. I said it perfectly earlier, didn't it? Radulovic uh, earlier. Um, so we brought him in. Hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Matos looks, you know, interesting. Um, we still, for me, need two at least two, three quality players that will make a difference. Um, midfield, wing, striker, it, 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 maybe a centre-back. It's still, 
we still need those players. Otherwise, if we don't get the points in this January month, we, we, we're going to be really struggling out. We come February, March with the, the run we've got. And it's, you know, that that's the worry, isn't it? That we need to get these players in as, as sharp, sharply as possible. I know it's not always possible because of the, the domino effect of the January transfer window. I think anybody who, you know, if it's not your first season in football or you've, you've come fresh from football manager, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen whereby you go, right, I want that one. And it's like a fast food order. It doesn't happen like that. It's, it's like buying a house, isn't it? Um, but three more players, mate. Um, another striker. We need a, a, a striker with championship experience, I think, who can find the back of the net. Um, because just in case Radulovic doesn't hit the ground running. So you need, you need that backup option, don't you? You need somebody who can create from wide or through the middle, um, you know, that passing, we still don't really have that passing midfielder. Um, and then possibly a centre-back because Yuta's um, um, out for five five or six weeks, isn't he, with the, at the Asian Games, and you, you kind of miss that balance that it brings, unless Josh Ruffles is closer to uh, returning than what, what we think. So um, th- there's a lot to do, isn't there? We're, we're halfway through January, there's still a lot to do. Um, there's more than 50% of work to do, mate. Um, are you hopeful for it? I mean, they made a good start, didn't they, with uh, with Matos and Radulovic? So. I think they made a great start, but they, they are players available. Like Scott Twine's moved today from, um, he went back from Hull, I think, to Burnley, back to Bristol City on loan. You've got Kiefer Morrow's available. I'm not saying they're in our budget, but Luke Ayling, he's, he's left Leeds on loan. There are players available if, you, if you're willing to go out and spend on them. And like you say, man, we only need three or four. Um, first teamers and we also need them fit because if four of them come in and one or two get injured we're out again how's Bergsall doing how, how, is there any expectation on when he's back I know they're kind of suggesting reading between lines a couple of months is, is that kind of the general belief on it is, is there a chance we send him back or because that, that would dictate our needs to me because I think if he's going back we need two strikers I think you need two extra strikers from what we've got because Danny Ward doesn't do it in this system or he, he's not fit enough to play this system in, in the way that we need a striker to do it. Well, he's somebody with pace, and we need an extra option with pace. So there's so many holes to fill. I'm not hopeful that we'll fill them all. No, I'm not. Um, I don't know if we have the budget. We, Kevin spoke quite a lot about we've got a set budget that we're going to kind of stick to and, and stay around there. He's available to sign, obviously, those three players he wants. But then it's relative. What value are we putting on these three players? Is it five grand a week times three? Are we looking at 50? Or is it three players on at 15 grand? Like, obviously, money doesn't always win football games, but it helps, especially in January when you need fixes now. Um, we kind of look to be targeting footballers that are about 23, 24. Um, you've got a lot less chance of them failing, I think, entirely when you spend money on on that. That's kind of proven in economics and all the kind of studies they do there. But then in January, when you're going out to get those guys, they're kind of hard to find. Um, there's a couple of guys in League One, isn't there, who've been linked with, who are out of contract in the summer. Is it Taylor Blackett? Um, yeah, that. Corey Taylor Blackett. Yeah, from Charlton, who's twenty six. Um, yeah, there was a one point five million fee mentioned, I think, online, and that that is it's online, so it's probably not reputable by any by any stretch. But you know, no one's going to pay one and a half million for someone who's who's available for nothing in June. So you know, especially if they've only ever played in League One. Uh, so you know, he's it, it'd be interesting. Adds pace. You know, can come in and score goals from from wide. You know, it'd be an interesting player. Been linked with Devante Cole, haven't we, today? He's not a player I particularly like that much, is Devante Cole. I mean, if you're signing a 28-year-old Devante Cole who's never really done it at this level, why don't you just bring Jordan Rhodes back? You know, it's it's just 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's much sense in in that. It, it, but again, I always say to you, rule of three: if three clubs are linked with a player, it's usually agent fed. Um, usually seems you know my my rule of three. Um, but yeah, we we you know we're halfway through this month. We've got another big game coming up against Blackburn, who are in free fall at the moment. Blackburn are, are, are losing games quite heavily at the minute. Um, it's it's such a a massive game for us. I mean, a, a signing or two before that would give the team and the fans a massive lift, wouldn't it? Um, going into that game because it's such a key game because we haven't beaten Plymouth. We now ideally need to beat... I, I, I felt we needed to get two wins and a draw from the four games. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. So we've got the draw, so we need another two wins and I, I don't think we can live forward to, be, to get beat by Sheffield Wednesday either because that closes the gap from below. So... Really, now I'm looking at two wins and a draw. If we don't lose to Sheffield Wednesday, or if we if we win the next two, then we need you know it's you know we, we could ideally, ideally win all three. You need to win all three, don't we? That's, I think as a minimum, you know, Matt, I think like if you it. come out, I yeah. think as a minimum, if you come out of this with two draws from the away games and then you beat Sheffield Wednesday, I know it's not ideal. I know it's not ideal, but I think that's some sort of platform you can at least try and build from. But you lose any of those first two games, the pressure, the pressure that Town will have against Sheffield Wednesday will be unbelievable for a game in January. But that, is it, it might even be February, I don't think, actually know the date. I think it's it, first, first game of Feb, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. But it's going to be so much pressure on that game. And, and we're, not a team to, we're not a team built to play under pressure. We're just not. Not, no, not, no. not as today we find ourselves anyway. So I think five points, I think you can scrape through with that. But... Again, there's not much room for error then, and you're asking a lot for the for the rest of the season. I mean, you get, you need another 15 points, wouldn't you, from from now to the end of the season or something like that to get to mid 40, mid to late 40s, wouldn't you? So what would what we are now? We're 26. So if you get five yeah. points, it takes you 31. Then you're looking at another 15, 16 points to stay up, aren't you? So and you have to remember QPR and Blackburn. I think they're. The QPR and Blackburn are bottom and 23rd in the league form table when you look at the last eight games. So you really can't have better games coming up for us to try and take good points from. It really is. These last three games have kind of fallen in our favour between Plymouth, Blackburn and QPR, but you just have to make the most of them. And like you say, we've whiffed against Plymouth because we didn't really try. Um, and I don't think we can make that mistake again. And hopefully Kevin Nichols' tweet might make Darren Moore a little bit more forward-thinking when it comes to how we approach the next two games. But we really do have to get something out of these because you can't get teams in better positions to play against than what we're coming up against next. No, I mean, he's um, in his video diary, he said he's going to go out for something to eat with the players and tell them to stop passing it sideways, didn't he, in, the, in his uh, video diary, <laughs> which was fun. Um I mean, some of the some of the remaining points he talked about in the interview with Oggy, he mentioned the the stadium, they're ongoing, aren't they, with the stadium? I mean, I kind of feel like they're flogging a dead horse when they talk about the the gym and the pool a little bit. I mean, that was propped up by Cal putting in half a million a year, wasn't it, or something like that, and that and it lost half a million a year. So that's not it's not going to get you much money. As as admirable as it is, it's it's not much of a it's going to lose it's going to lose money, isn't it? Um, they mentioned a pub, didn't they? Like potential for pubs around the place and stuff, and they're looking into it, which would be really good. Um, whether that's the rope walk, whether it's redeveloping the uh, driving range or gas club or whatever, I think that would be quite good to have to have a base for fans. Uh, and and 
the state, the state uh, I mean, HD one's never going to happen, is it? In in this sort of climate at the minute, but there are things you can potentially do around there. And I, th- I do think that's where Kevin Nagel's eyeing, isn't he, around the stadium, and he's probably thinking there's certain things you can maybe do or bring in here and improve, and you know, make make the stadium quite nice. That I think you mentioned that they've committed to improving bits of the stadium as well because it's starting to look tired and the need need to change uh, bits of uh, the running door. They, I think some some bits and bats inside need changing and they're on about changing the, some of the bathrooms. I mean, I went, went to Man City and do you know what blew my mind away at Man City, killer? They have hot taps in the bathrooms. What's all that about? I, never, I can't remember going to a football stadium where they have hot taps. That's amazing. It, it, freezing outside. I just sat there under the warm taps, you know, just washing my hands for about five minutes. That's how bad football's been in it, Matt. That's what we're looking at now. We're looking at having some hot taps. <laughs> looking at Maybe taps. Faucets. That's what we're looking for. <laughs> Maybe that's what 40 million will get us when it comes to sorting out the stadium. Maybe is that what it is? Digital signage and some nice warm taps and they'd go a treat from having to watch what's going on on the pitch. But no, I'll win you, Matt. I thought the questions Oggy put to him were fantastic. I thought he asked every single thing I could think of asking. And he put it, apart from Kevin's answer to the, um, if he saw the light show, I don't know if you you caught that. Oggy asked him what he thought about the light show. He didn't see it, did he? He didn't see it, no, he didn't. But to be fair, I don't think anyone else did either, even those in the stadium. So maybe maybe he did see it. But um, it's just nice to see, again, he answered the, the questions fairly. The, the stadium needs work doing to it. The council, the Giants, everyone kind of knows it. And I, I understand Kevin's point of view in that if you, you don't really want the club to put 100% of the money and if you don't own 100% of the stadium, why would you? Yeah. Why would you do that? The risk is, like you said, the stadium has always run at a loss. I think it's an 800 grand loss about normally when it comes to how, how the um, stadium... Um, triple business, whatever it is, with a 40%, 40%, 20% split. The K- is it KDSL, KSDL? Um, it normally runs at a loss. So if town are taking that on, you've got to consider that you, you're getting something that's already making a loss and you're trying, you've got to make more money to cover that. You've, especially, like you say, when the gym's not there anymore, the swimming pool, and if they're not paying their rent, then you've got to consider how town would fund the, the improvements necessary to extend the life of the stadium. That would then become something town would have to cover, of course. And you have the the, the owners uh, Nagel has to have a real strong belief in that. Okay, we can take extra liabilities on extra risks because we're going to get more money elsewhere. They've got to really have a good business plan, or they expect to be able to make some profit elsewhere in the stadium that they feel they can't in the current situation. So I'm really interested with with what the plans are because to cover that kind of gap, it, it must be quite grand. And they haven't really gone into it in depth, other than we want it to put digital signage so we can. Um, help market things a little bit better but um, it, it's interesting to, to hear him talk about it so openly because quite often as owners they don't really do that do they, they keep things very close to the chest and he seems very open with what his plans are for, for the club um, and yeah, I, again I just long, appreciate Ongi asking the questions yeah. yeah long way that continue I think I think it's great to have that sort of open transparency and honesty with, with Kevin Nagel and I've really enjoyed his his visit so far, it's been it's been it's been fun, hasn't it? It's a shame that the the football on the pitch hasn't really sort of matched the enthusiasm off it. But you know, you, you can't fault it. It's it's been it's been good. Um, we just need, uh, unfortunately, the way that, the way football is, it's I mean, everything that it does off the field will will just be rendered moot, won't it? If if we continue to be poor on on field, and unfortunately, that's just the way. That's just the way football is, isn't it? Um, He's learning and, that as well, though, Matt, because he kept referring he to is, this. Yeah. He kept referring he to it yesterday in his, his diary, in his um, diary, on the Radio Leeds broadcast. In that he kept saying, "It doesn't matter what plans we have if the if the stuff on the field is not very good." And again, when he when he first came over, I met him a couple of times down at the ATT meeting, and 
uh, with the HTSA and he was not quite there at that point. He spoke a lot about off the field stuff and, and very didn't really, apart from wanting to win, didn't speak about how we played on the field. And that has definitely changed. And that's another thing I'm positive about in that as long as somebody can adapt and learn, and that's obviously what makes a good businessman. And that's no doubt why he's so successful in everything else that he seems to do. And it's just nice to see that shift because it is very visible if you have a little bit of a look into it and see how his tone has changed. Because now he's referring to all the time how it goes on the field because you're right, Matt. If, if, if it's not very good on the field, the rest of it doesn't really matter. That's unfortunately the the way it is and he can't really affect that other than, than buying players. <laughs> so um, unfortunately it might be costly for you, Kevin. Um, but, you know, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, the, I mean, the other things he mentioned, he mentioned Canal side that they, they, they would potentially invest further in Canal side because the rent's quite cheap, didn't they? I think that's something yeah. they mentioned and. And the academy changes. So the academy currently is um, category four at the minute, the lowest possible. Uh, they've mentioned uh, he did say it would go up a level, which indicates category three, uh, and then look to go up a level again, which would be category two, which would put the club back to where it was. I mean, category one academy at Huddersfield would be a huge change from where it, where it's been in the past if they did tend to go that way and I think it's something like you need to uh, invest two and a half million a year or something in it as well it's, it's you do get a lot of money um, through grants so it's not all self-funded so you get uh, more money through grants but it is a, is a lot of money especially in the shadows of um, the Manchester clubs it's probably quite a difficult thing to achieve other than that mate I think that was pretty much all that you had time for, um, which was great. So we do appreciate that. Um, anything else that you'd that you can think of before we uh, call it a day? No, I don't want to cover any more of the football. I think, like you say, it's, it, we've been over that many, many times recently. The the, the pit, everything on the pitch seems very, very similar week in and week out. At least we've had a, quite a bit from Kevin Nagel this week on behind the scenes to to discuss. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Especially when you try and sort of sit and be kind of analytical in, in a lot of ways and try and go through it. I mean, it's very easy, isn't it, to sort of get swept up in the, or it would be very easy to get swept up in the Darren Moore out brigade, you know what I mean? Especially when we're sceptics as it is. But I think when you sit and look at it and, and look at the hand he's been dealt with, it, it just it's just difficult to kind of nail your colours to, to the mast either way at the minute, isn't it? But it's, it's just, it is frustrating and I do get the, the frustrations from everyone at the minute, town fans, and it's it's not a fun place to to watch your football, is it, at the minute? But hopefully, um, starting at, at Blackburn, things will get a bit better. You know, we'll we'll get some more players in, and we can start to push on. That's the that's the big hope, isn't it, moving forward? So, uh, I think that's it for this week. Um, we uh, should be back next week. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, as always. Thank you to Magic Rob for sponsoring us. And let's have a little bit of Chris Carr to sing us out. There's a team that is dear to its followers. The colours are bright, blue and white. They're a team of renown. They're the pride of the town. And the game of football is their delight. And all the while upon the field of play 
thousand slowly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say Who can beat the town today And then the bells will ring so merrily And every ghost shall be a memory So town play up And bring that cup Back to Huddersfield So town play up And bring the cup Back to Huddersfield The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Automate delivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.